Hello and welcome to Oh Brother, What Are We Watching? Two brothers discuss pop culture with a geeky bent. I'm Chris and with me as always is my co-host Steve. Steve, how are you doing tonight? I'm alright. I'm just struggling listening to you trying to get through that opening. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll just come up with something else. Is that, hello, <laughs> welcome. Hello! How are you? <laughs> here we, here we, here we fucking go. Yeah, you know, but more into our more into our Scottish roots and heritage. So tonight, Steve, I've I've brought you here virtually, as we are both uh, currently on lockdown, so that mm-hmm. we we can discuss the the Ben Affleck twenty twelve Ben Affleck film Argo. Now, a little bit of a little bit of background, a little bit of inside baseball uh, for anyone at home. This this film kind of uh, tore the podcast asunder for a while about. <laughs> <laughs> about a year and a half ago uh, <laughs> uh i i finished our, our last recording which was looper i think and i said at the end of looper which was your pick oh hey we should watch argo next and you were like oh yeah 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 i'll get around to that uh, and that was it <laughs> and and uh, has has been it until our sort of recent revival i guess so we we'd kind of discussed it and i said to you you know a little while ago should we just do you just want to leave Argo? Do you just want to write that off as something we're just not going to do? And we both agreed that, no, no, we should we should definitely do it. It was a good idea, after all, to watch it in the first place. And so we have. I'm 90% sure as I sit here that you have watched it and I'm not being punked as we speak. <laughs> Surprise, motherfucker! <laughs> I've not done it. I haven't watched um, shit! No. <laughs> I haven't watched shit. <laughs> I'm just going to do this uncomfortably. No, I have watched it, considering that just, again, we're we're recording this during lockdown. If you're listening to this post-coronavirus and wondering what that was, that was was the previous hellscape, not the current one you're in in the future. Mm -hmm. In this hellscape, we were all locked in our houses and and Chris very helpfully uh, came around and didn't didn't say didn't touch me didn't do anything. He just posted the Blu-ray through the door and walked off. Yeah, I didn't. So, I didn't even knock the door or um, ring the I bell. I just copy. ran off. I think I think when we tried to do this before, it was on Amazon Prime. I could have watched it for free in the comfort of my own home, and then it disappeared off Amazon Prime because I was lazy. And as you said, um, that was about a year ago. So I finally watched it. It's it's 2020. It came out in 2012, and I watched it. Okay, so here we are, eight years later. So um, we like. Uh, we like on this show, Steve, to obviously discuss uh, our past or, or where we came across these films before. Now, what made this film uh, unique and possibly part of of why there wasn't as much impetus for us both to sit down and watch it uh, was that I hadn't watched this film before either. Uh, I was simply recommending it on the basis of I feel like it's something we should both have watched. I felt like it was significant enough that, that we should have discussed it. So I don't really have any... Mm you know, personal backstory for the film. Um, I feel like you and me kind of go uh, back a long way with Ben, though. <laughs> with Benjamin. Yeah. Um, I think... Benny, Big Ben, <laughs> Benjamin Netanyahu. I, I feel like, I feel like looking, looking back, like we watched quite a few of his earlier films and, uh, you know, might have at one point described ourselves as fans of his work. Yeah, so for me, you know, it's been a long time coming. I mean, I had... Two years before this came out, there was a film called the town Mm -hmm. which you may have watched and the town was kind of like a big uh career rebirth for affleck and he i think i'm sure he directed it as well 
it was set in Boston. It was all about like robbers. Fenway Park was involved, so it was like you know proper proper Boston. And for us, it's a big deal given that we have family there and we're all into the sports scene there. I think I heard about this film around you know in you know in the junkets when they were promoting the film and the lead up to its release in 2012. And I'm pretty sure it was on the Daily Show with John Stewart because I watched it all the time then. As, as you might imagine, uh, daily, yeah. actually. And I th- it might have been Affleck or maybe someone else just promoting it. And I thought, I'm not a huge Affleck guy, but it, it does sound very cool. Uh, and at that point, I was still into, I think, um, trying to take my new wife to the movies and show that I'm a really big movie guy by like saying, oh, we'll go see this um, this French film this week. Or this week <laughs> it'll be a little uh, independent number from America you've never heard of before. But you'll know the star in five years' time when he's a huge... All these kind of things. So I wasn't afraid of going to these kind of films. But nowadays I'm more like, I'm going to spend almost 20 quid. I kind of want a guaranteed hit or guaranteed... I need to know I'm going to have a good time. Good time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're quite right. This was part of what I think of as sort of Ben Affleck's rebirth and, and resurgence in Hollywood. You know, in the early days, you know, he did he did some indies. He was very heavily involved uh, in actually a lot of Kevin Smith films, who obviously we've discussed before. He was the lead in Chasing Amy. He featured in Mallrats. He's been in a ton of them. But he had he had a bit of a bad run. So in 2003, he did Geely. I think that's how you pronounce it, which is a notoriously awful film. Not long after that, he did Jersey Girl. Uh, 2003 also featured Daredevil. And it was a real it was a real bad time for Ben's career. He was kind of making bad choice after bad choice. And that led him to, I think, take a bit of a step back. You know, he was still acting, but he wasn't, you know, he'd be in like one, well, you know, one film every other year, near enough. But he got into directing. So he did something called, I think it was Gone Baby Gone, which he directed in 2007, which was a big, critical smash you know very very critically acclaimed uh then he did the town which he acted and directed in as well which uh, as you say um you know is about boston and 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 some robbers very interesting i haven't actually seen it myself but again very critically well received and this was his i think third proper certainly third proper film that he directed argo and it was the first one that kind of took a bit of a step outside of that massachusetts boston you know kind of gritty area and took a look at something entirely different which is obviously what we're talking about now so it's a bit of an intro to the film itself it's it's around a based around a real real thing that happened which is that some americans in an american embassy in iran tensions there were as they seemingly always are quite high and um some americans got taken hostage in the iranian embassy they actually were hostage there for over a year but six people escaped from the embassy just before you know just as it was happening and this film is about the crazy plan they hatched to retrieve them from iran which is to say they created a fake movie the titular argo uh, from a pile of spec scripts in somebody's office and they had to for all intents and purposes make it seem like it was a real movie they had backers they had actors attached there was a table read they had artwork drawn by jack kirby who's a big marvel artist and guy who affleck's portraying in real life flew over to iran and spoiler alert for the movie manages to get them all back safely so steve keep me in suspense no longer what did you actually think of the film well, yeah, I'll absolutely tell you, but I wanted to, to I wanted to ask one thing before that. Okay. 
So obviously, as I said at the start, you gave me the Blu-ray, uh-huh. but you also said you hadn't watched it before. So did you buy the Blu-ray sight unseen just so you could have it? Yeah. So I buy... You hadn't seen it before. So this is not like, I love this film. I, I gotta, mm. I'm going to keep it forever. You just said, no, I want to facilitate this podcast. I'm going to buy it and, Chris, and Steve is going to fucking watch it. Uh, no, no, not quite. Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, quite. The, 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 the reason I suggested it, I already had it when I suggested it. I I buy a lot of Blu-rays, or I bought a lot of Blu-rays. I used to go into HMV and pick them up on three for twenty or five for thirty uh, because I was just a bit of a I was a bit of a madman for those deals back then. And I would pick up films, yes, that I have watched and loved and want to watch again, but also that I would think, ah, oh, I missed that in the cinema, but I was actually really interested in it. And and this is a perfect example. I, I did really want to go see it in the cinema, but 2012 was a time uh, where I'd literally, I'd just moved house and I was a bit strapped for cash and I was working all the time. So that didn't happen. So I, I picked it up years ago, I'd say probably two or three years ago, and it's been sat on my shelf. And uh, one night I was looking for inspiration for the podcast and I was like, well, you know, it kind of violates our very loose rules that we had created. But um, yeah, I was like, yeah, fuck it. it would be good. I'll, I'll watch it. I'll make him watch it. Bish, bash, posh. So that's how I came to <laughs> came to be in possession of it. Oh, okay. Is that, that's, a, that's a very long way of answering my question, but fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so skipping, skipping to like what, what I actually thought about it all and everything. So all in all, it's it's a very it's a very solid movie. I enjoyed it. Um, it was uh, you know a heck of a cast. Oh yeah. Um, that that's that's the first thing that stood out to me was just you know incredible cast. Um, as much from the character players and the background players than from uh, the leading four. Uh, you know your Ben Affleck, John Goodman, your Alan Arkin, Brian Cranston. You know obviously those are like big names, mm-hmm. great character actors. But actually, I was blown away by. All, like even from that first scene in the Tehran embassy and you're seeing the faces and you're like, I know him. Yeah. He's Rachel's boyfriend from Friends and I know her. She was in Final Destination and, and all these things. And, and yeah. Not just because they've been in other things, but they're, they're, they're character actors that turn up a lot and, and are, are very, very talented. Um, you know, I would say as, as impressed as I was with, you know, the direction, we'll get into it. And as, as as solid a film as it is, it didn't really do anything new for me. Um, you know, it had some familiar beats. Um, you know, it was very capable directed. Um, there's some really good lines actually in it, which was surprising. Um, I'll get back to that in, the, in a little bit. Um, but it, it was it resonated well as well with anyone who had a passing interest in in that history, mm-hmm. the time time of uh, American history, which I think we'll also go into because it's absolutely fundamental to the understanding of the film. Um, of course, apparently the true story is that Canada came up with most of this, not America. Yeah, I've heard so that. The true story is not America saving Americans; it's Canadians saving Americans, and then not, not and then taking the credit for it. So, um, it's a bit. It's it's, it's pretty good. Um, I was putting it on my letterbox last night. I was like, what do I want to give it? You can only give like half stars. So, did I give it a three and a half? And I was like, no, it's better than a three and a half. Definitely better. Than is than it three a four? And a half, yeah. No, I gave it a four. If I could, I would give it like a three point seven five, <laughs> three point eight nine. Yeah. But it's it's good. It's it's a good film. It's a good film, and it's it's um it's quite tense without ever actually getting into any sort of action. You know, in terms of big budget special effects or anything like that. There's there's no action sequences whatsoever. 
except for maybe the opening sequence. And even then, that's not really action-packed. It's, it's, it's very well filmed and, um, and very tense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think I've got to give, I've got to give credit to Big Ben here. I think, I think this is the first film that I've watched of his, at least knowing that he is, is the one that directed it. And, you know, I can see why, like I, like I say, I think there was a bit of a resurgence here for him and, and people came to look at him in a bit of a different light and not as like the guy who would take any job and does films with his girlfriend and, and whatever else. But it's a pretty serious artist and, and, and somebody who's got some acting chops and uh, directorial chops, you know, from an acting standpoint, his, his role is pretty muted as, as I kind of think it should be, you know, he's not... I think it probably would have been very tempting for him to kind of go all American hero and be like, okay, so in the real thing, we just got on a plane and left, but here I'm going to take out my pistols and I'm going to shoot a couple of Iranian guards and I'm going to toss in a grenade. <laughs> but, you know, he kept, he kept it pretty subdued. Um, but yeah, you know, as we say, to be able to build the tension and, you know, play, you know, occasionally I think they play a bit fast and loose with, the actual historical facts but i think they stay pretty close for the most part and and to sort of be able to take that and weave it into the sort of tension-filled tale that it is uh, i i thought was pretty impressive and i think speaks to you know a, a pretty decent level of directorial skill that i honestly didn't know that affleck had you know you, you just knew though at the start when you saw him in that bed he was like he's either divorced or separated that that's the beard something. of a man so of that's given he's up he's going to be muted but of course he's also <laughs> going to save the day and then at the end the wife is going to come out and greet him again one of the things i wanted to make mention so i'll make mention of it now what a criminal waste like it's, it, top to mm. tail was a great cast but i feel for taylor Schilling, who's the star of orange is the new black that <laughs> <laughs> she got like two lines at the end of the film and like welcomes Affleck back into her home with the son I don't know if they're in the real life is divorced or separated or he just works in Washington far away but the, you get very much got that vibe of separated divorced yeah. something and at the end he's like I saved the day I saved the country come to me woman <laughs> I'm done with this now yeah I, I, I can I see where you're coming from with that I suppose it felt in a way that it was kind of tacked on to give him something of an arc uh, because you can't really have your main character go through the story and remain unchanged. But yeah, it was, I mean, you know, that, that aside, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I thought, I thought they did, I, I thought they did very well with a, a lot of the other cast that they had. You know, I think there was quite a good balance between the time spent in Iran, you know, getting to know our, our, well, they're not actually hostages, you know, they're runaway hostages. We're trying to avoid them becoming hostages. Uh, you know, so the time getting to know them and seeing what they're going through and getting, you know, getting to grips with the sort of the tensions they're feeling, you know, over to our Hollywood producers, the John Goodman and Alan Arkin, who are absolutely brilliant throughout. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't really fault anything to do with their part. Um, and then the CIA operatives, which is where we say, uh, you know, one of our other favorite actors... Brian Cranston. Go on, say his name. Oh, no, 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 no. I, thought, I, I, thought I, know, getting... I know who you want to talk about. Let's talk about him now. <laughs> you want to talk about Keith Sajo Baca, don't you? Angel, have your child. And I'm jumping through a time There's... portal. <laughs> Keith Sajo Baca, who's one of the great character actors and who uh, for about half a year kept us very entertained as the bad guy on Angel season three? Uh, later, I think. Season four or five i don't know 
No, not oh, five. five. Definitely not five. Not five. Chris, um, come on. What is this amateur? Or it's not uh, five. But yeah, on my on my notes, which I haven't got in front of me, uh, as you can see, because we're also using Zoom here. My notes are somewhere lost around the house, but I did have the word Sasha Baka written, and I'm proud to say I spelled it right. I checked it after I'd written it. <laughs> I had spelled it right. Um, but yeah, as, uh, <laughs> he. Uh, he always delights me, whatever he's in. And uh, as you say, we we had a special fondness for him. He was a bad guy on Angel, and he he affected this accent. You know, normally he talks a bit like this, but he'd affected this kind of British, I suppose, villainous accent. <laughs> and I, I, I once rather famously in the middle of uh, impersonating him said, Angel, I've chaved your child. <laughs> Which is another way of saying he took his child. Well, it was funny joke. and you laughed pitiful, hard fucking pitiful <laughs> was a bit yeah well that's old. what we yeah. would uh, by today's standards call a meme it became memetic in its nature just in our household and the meme the meme spread virally <laughs> to two people um, but yeah so it was um I, he's great in this film obviously disney doesn't feature much um but he's part of a fairly rich tapestry you know there's a lot of great actors in here who aren't doing a lot but they're all they're all mm. making up part of the, the the scene you know giving giving the world a bit of depth and a bit of richness oh yeah yeah i mean just just top to tail apart from the four you mentioned and obviously our friend keith you know you got richard kind who turns up in all of these things and is a small part of hollywood um you've got tom link from buffy who you knew well even um the same scene which is the read through you got michael nelson um chris stanley from mad men who played like the stepdad of the kids um bob goodman titus welliver zelgico evenek these are all people that you might not know the names when i'm rhyming them off but you know their faces because they're always in these fucking films and they're just all together in this film this film um but special shout outs to to tate donovan who is one the voice of hercules from Mm -hmm. the animated disney film hercules and was uh, Rachel's boyfriend in um, uh, yeah. and I, 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 I gotta <laughs> in, say as well Tate Friends. Donovan um, I know this won't appeal to you but he, he has a special place in my heart because I used to uh, fairly religiously watch the melodrama The O.C. and uh, he played uh, Marissa Cooper's father Jimmy Cooper always down on his luck Jimmy Cooper yeah you know I, I, I know him from that I'm uh, always always been a big fan of his i think i think he's a very talented actor and he's he, he does i'll tell you what else about this cast chris so so one you won't know about but i was very excited by so um there's a tv show i've been trying to get you to watch called oh, the yeah? expanse uh which is sci-fi it's on amazon and one of the stars of that is in this film cass anvar he literally is one of the guards in the airport scene towards the end screaming in farsi <laughs> at someone like that and i saw his face and i was like hey he's got a texas accent on a sci-fi show he's like screaming farsi at someone's face for like three seconds but he's in this film um and also victor garber uh who was i think um what was jj abrams big show uh before lost and everything it was um the spy show no um what was the spy show jennifer garner ben affleck's ex-wife alias alias he was an alias and he was also the wool guy from 30 roll and so every time i saw him on screen i just wanted to say very wool <laughs> but that's just that's just us just like you know fanboying over a whole bunch basically the cast is, is top to bottom character actors and one more mention of the cast before i move on from this at least is the guy who takes 
the materials from the Argo materials from Ben Affleck at the end. So they're in. He's back home. End of the film, and there's a guy in the CIA who just takes uh-huh. all his stuff. Chris um, puts him in a bag, and he's got, he's got some big eyes. I I know who he is. His name is is um, Chifo something Chifo, and I recognise the name because that is the he's part of a Hollywood minor power family. So his wife is Beth Grant. Sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle <laughs> motion. <laughs> Another podcast favorite, Donnie Darko, Beth Grant. So that's that's um, that's the husband of Beth Grant. And she's she's been in a ton of things as well. Oh, she's like, been a she whole ton of things. That absolutely, very severe character, hair in a bun. Um, and those two, if I tell you, I think she was in Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Almost certainly, and and she is the mother, and he is the father of another actress called Mary Chifo, who plays the Klingon Lorel in Star Trek Discovery. Okay, okay. You know, it's a very well-made film, and a lot of a lot of good actors—not just A-listers, but a lot of good actors—turned out for Benny Boy here. Yeah, no, I think he, I think he called in a few favors. I think that's fair to say. So yeah, I think uh, you won't read or hear a review of this film without the word tension being used about twenty times, and I think that's a fair uh, assessment. It's a mm. very very tense film, um, and I was quite glad of my ignorance because going into the film. I knew very little. I knew that it was something to do with Iran. I knew there was hostages involved. I'd actually completely conflated it in my head with the Iran-Contra scandal that is completely different and in a different era of right. American history and politics. This this obviously being during the... Close yeah, close-ish, close-ish. Close, though. This was, this was 79, 80, yeah. and Iran-Contra was Reagan's time, so it was a few yeah, years later. Yeah, this is, this is obviously the Jimmy Carter period, our sort of our favorite peanut farming president. But yeah, you know, I didn't know. Essentially, I didn't know how successful the mission was. So right up until the last minute, I was still kind of thinking, well, maybe maybe they make it out, but maybe not everyone makes it out. You know, I was like, mm. maybe, maybe Affleck has to stay behind and he's like, shit, I'll get the next plane. And then they catch him and torture him and kill him or, you know, whatever the hell else. I figured it would have to have a relatively happy ending for them to want to make it as a film. But I had no idea exactly what was going to happen. So I felt a lot of that tension. It never gets to the point of making me feel literally uncomfortable in watching. But it was it was an incredibly tense ride. And, and I think I would feel that again, re-watching it. Um, you know, even knowing full well yeah. what happened. Now, interestingly, I've got, um, I've got a wife opinion here. Okay. A wife opinion on the tension. Oh, well, a wife opinion on the film in general, but on the tension in specific. Okay. She, she struggles with tension in film does my wife if if it gets too tense she starts squeezing my hand she screws up her face she's not happy with what she's seeing and there was times where there was a few hand squeezes but she was she was generally enjoying it along for the ride but she said for her you know I, i asked after the film what did you think did you enjoy it she was like yeah it was pretty good and she said to be honest she felt it kind of dropped off for her in the last 10 or 15 minutes because at a certain point, she just thought, you know what? They're all going to get out. I can see the writing on the wall here. I can see the mm-hmm. way that this film has been set up. Everyone's getting home. And as soon as as soon as soon she had basically sussed that out, her brain didn't feel the tension anymore. <laughs> and if you're not feeling the tension in those films, in, in those scenes, rather, then they are just lengthy sle- scenes of people shouting at some white people in a language that you don't necessarily understand with them all sort of shifting around nervously looking at each other. So she did feel that it, it sort of dropped off towards the end for her. It didn't for me. Uh, I, I sort of, I felt it throughout and I enjoyed it throughout. And I, I also said to her afterwards, 
can you see why this relaunched Ben Affleck's career, though? And she said, not really. She said, I could see why it would have relaunched Brian Cranston's career. He was excellent. (laughs) 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 Oh, Ben. Ben. <laughs> and you know, I mean, from an acting standpoint, like I say, you know, he does he he puts in a fairly perfunctory performance. I think he was a lot busier behind the camera than in front of it, and um, mm, mm. wasn't trying to upstage anyone. I, I you know, I think I think is fair to say. I, I've got a lot of time for Ben. I think he's a pretty solid actor, anyway. You know, it's it's true to say Brian Cranston is is excellent in this. You know, he he gets the laughs, he gets the you know, he gets the tension moments. He does. He does it all. He does it all. He's 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 a grand actor. Yeah, I mean, there's two two big scenes I think that that kind of demonstrate the tension in the film. And the first one is the bizarre scene mm-hmm. where they're doing basically their fake work to to be a film crew, and it's it's filmed very well. It's intercut with scenes um, from the actual uh, mm-hmm. the embassy. Canadian embassy where people are obviously now on to them and they've kind of pulled up and they're trying to get more information and then they kind of bump into some people in the bazaar and then the the, the kind of shouting farsi um st- starts again that's kind of a kind of oh you, you're feeling it a bit tense you can kind of feel like them like they're lying they're pretending to be yeah. canadians they're in a foreign country everybody wants to kill them like you kind of felt that and it's obviously filmed in that tight bazaar which is very very claustrophobic and i thought that's something they did very well which was was filmed that very tight you know it feels like they were kind of wall to wall with people and at any point it could have spun out of control so i thought that was excellent and the other one is although i'd agree with your <laughs> wife that by the end i was like there's no way they're not getting out of this this has got this is what i meant at the start was it's got some familiar beats and it's like yeah it's all a bit close but they're going to yeah. get out but the scene in, when they do get to the airport is it's, it's filmed quite well and it kind of builds up gradually so it's like you know um, Affleck's telling them there's, there's there's three checkpoints we have to get through. So automatically you've got that kind of count in yeah. your head of it's going to get harder from here on in, and it kind of ratchets up and ratchets up, and it's intercut with them trying to buy tickets because the tickets need to be approved, and it just sort of layers back and forth through these different areas, back to America and and back to the the embassy to kind of layer on top, kind of um, everything that needs to go right for this to come off. And it's kind of punctuated by um, when they finally get to that security check, the the sound drops and you just hear the bang of the yeah. stamp on the passport. And that kind of, again, it's, it's a very kind of standard film thing, but it just bang, everyone's kind of, oh. Yeah, I did actually. Um, <laughs> you, they feel just like we do. I did actually jump <laughs> when, when, when that, that happened. <laughs> well, well played. Well played, Ben. You got me with that one. But yeah, no, I, <laughs> uh, I think so. It's interesting that you've sort of said you feel like it's it's not really presented anything new to you and i think in this in this podcast one of the things we've been seeking that i didn't even know that i was looking for until we started doing this is that sense of you know just let me see something i don't feel like i've seen a million times before mm. and while granted a historical look at a situation like this isn't entirely new in fact there has already been a film about the argo situation although I think it was done in, in a much different way. For me, it still felt like something that I don't see very much of. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the films that it put me in mind of the whole time I was watching it, and uh, I found out later, I think Affleck kind of took as a bit of uh, inspiration, especially in those CIA scenes, was All the President's Men, which right. is you know another film both you and I have watched and uh, enjoyed very much, which uh, again looks at a time in American history, far more recent. Uh, well, slightly more recent. In fact, fuck that, it wasn't. 
Never mind. <laughs> so Watergate was before this. No, it was the seventies, wasn't you're it? Right. Yeah. Well, it was both seventies. Yeah, and and one, you know, that's one thing. You know, um, I went, I'm glad you, you brought up, and and that's he made it look very much like nineteen seventies America. You know, um, not just from the clothes and the hair and obviously all the obvious things you'd expect, but it really you really felt like this was a country with faded glory. That this was. Um, that late 70s America, post-Watergate, where America kind of loses itself a little bit. Mm. And that's kind of what the film's about. Like, that's really, that's like what I really enjoyed about it. When I was halfway through the film, I said, you know, thematically, you're beginning, this is my notes now, beginning to really see some th- things here. You know, you're you're seeing this kind of um, crisis that broke America. You know, and, and one of the ways it ratchets your tension is actually how it ratchets tension in real life. So you'll notice that in all the film, uh, all the, the news scenes uh, from the Tehran embassy, it has the day count, yeah. which says, you know, what day one, day two. And every day that count went up and the pressure increased on, on President Carter to do something to get those people out of that embassy. And every single day the news was there. Every single day they were adding a day onto that count. And this crisis, on top of that post-Watergate malaise, there was also the OPEC oil crisis and everything. It kind of broke America. Like, America... Um, I'm trying to remember the, the phrase that Carter used. It was not ennui, but it was, it was something like that. And and basically, America just had enough of it. it, it you, you can kind of see that in some of the, the other scenes filmed in there, which is like, they were just desperate for some good news. And eventually, it ushered in Reagan. And Reagan was able to take this awful situation and, and throw some Reaganomics at it. And get America feeling good about itself again. But that's kind of what the whole film is, is about, really. It's um, it's um, this need for rescue, but it's not just the rescue of the people in Tehran. It's, it's, it's basically a rescue of America. It's to try and give America some good news, some good feeling about yeah. itself, that America can actually do something. A little bit undercut by the fact, of course, it was Canada. But <laughs> if you're watching the film, you don't know that. But um, the other th- the thing I thought was really cool about it was is time and again, it reminded you about the power of the visual image. So as I said there, you know, the news cameras were constantly putting pressure on on Carter in real life. But here in the film, you know, film is to the rescue, of course. But the TV news and the cameras are informing you. There's a great scene, which is um, the table read scene, which intercuts the table read with with news um, being delivered back to the the US, um, press conferences from the terrorists and everything and the big big shots of those old-fashioned cameras like RCA written on the side mm-hmm. it was really cool um, that really came across well I think that's probably like my favorite thing about the film was just walking away from uh, Ben Affleck really got what the, f- the story was about it's not just a cookie rescue story but it's, it's much more about America it's much more about um, how they dealt with that period of their history in which a lot of Americans were, were not happy and, and not happy with their government their leadership and just how they felt in their day to day, you know, um, it was that was really impressive. Yeah, no, I I entirely agree with that. Something else that I I picked up on that I thought was it was just very interesting for me, given the time that we've chosen to watch this. So, as we've already discussed, we are currently in the midst of uh, you know the biggest health crisis the world has known <laughs> in any of our lifetimes uh, the COVID-19 outbreak and so we're all locked down at home in isolation uh, which is obviously what happens with our six captors as they head to the Canadian embassy you know they're not allowed to go outside they're not allowed to show their faces anytime someone turns up they all have to go into like a basement crawl space and hide mm-hmm. and they don't 
go hugely into it, but they do spend a bit of time addressing the fact that everybody's kind of going loopy being in there and you know somebody does something they go out for like a quick five minute walk to get some air and everyone else is like are you nuts are you crazy what are you doing why are you going outside and he's just like oh come on are you serious like i can't be cooped up in here this whole time i can't deal with it and uh it's for me that was really poignant and kind of interesting because i think a lot of us are feeling that at the moment obviously an entirely different kind of situation but the same the same feeling of being cooped up and isolated and just it's it's the not having a choice i might have spent five days indoors before but at least i knew i could go outside if i wanted to it's as soon as you know that you can't do something that you want to do it more than anything in the world and so their you know their storyline their isolation the the tension that creates between them i I think Mm. is is really interesting and and very sort of very of the moment yeah yeah, no, that was it was it was really good, and then you you raise a good point, which is that of course at the moment we can all go out for exercise, and we can um, even tell on our neighbours if we see them going out twice. Mm-hmm. But just imagine you not being able to go outside, and if you do, then you've got a thousand angry uh, Iranians ready to string you up and kill you uh, because you just happened to be in the wrong place. So it certainly puts a new spin on isolation. Yeah, and I mean that was, you know, obviously you're you were highlighting the the fact that that the film is getting at this idea that everybody in America just needed a win. You know, they got those six That's people exactly home. Right. And when we got to the end of the film, my wife turned to me and she went, okay, so that's six of them, but what about everyone else in the embassy? I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's kind of a drop in the ocean compared to the greater problem. But that's actually the point is that, okay, well, no, it was, it was still, you know, they were in there for 400 plus days. <laughs> and it was a real, it was a real bad time. But they had this little win that they could kind of hang their hat on. Obviously, it was the Canadians. The Canadians did get full credit for it at the time that they had managed to get those six out. And it was something. <laughs> and it was it, it was a win. And, uh, you yeah. know, and that that was kind of the point at a time at a time where the country was kind of aching for it. Yeah. And I think another th- a good thing that, that kind of resonates with that. And it's another good thing that you can um, point to Affleck's direction is when they're it's both historically accurate or at least somewhat accurate. I mean, it may not be 100% accurate, but when he's flying into LA and you see the Hollywood sign broken, it was the old Hollywood land sign and it was in a, a state of disrepair. And uh, it just all matches up lovely. It's just, you know, the disrepair of America laid bare, one of his greatest icons, the Hollywood sign is, is just lying and it's utterly decrepit as he flies over it in the shadow of this great film industry, which is going to save us all. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a really kind of cool little moment um, um, that, that kind of highlighted where this was going to go. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so are there, obviously we've discussed some of the, the, the scenes that were, the, you know, the, the tension builders or anything else. Um, were there any other specific scenes that you wanted to discuss or highlight that, you know, for you were just like, well, that was really good. <laughs> well, obviously, we have to talk about Argo Fuck Yourself. Argo Fuck Yourself, yeah. Is that what you're going to call this Argo, episode? Fuck Yourself. <laughs> I, well, I, I think I'll put an asterisk in it. But yeah, yeah pro- 99.9%, this is the name of the episode. <laughs> I thought it might be. I like to guess sometimes. I like to guess what you're going to go with. And uh, yeah, I, I, I figured on this. I try and go with a good line as much as possible. No, that's obviously a great line. There was a number of good lines. And um, I'm now going to... Um, I'm now going to needle needle you a little bit, okay? Because I was a little bit worried when I, I was watching it. I was like, oh, "It's supposed to be a good film, and it won an Oscar, and I'm enjoying it." But uh, who wrote it? I wonder. Uh, it, was just, it was a chap by the name of uh, Chris Terrio, 
And okay. I was like, that name sounds really, really familiar. So I go on the old IMDb, and his next three produced films after this one count along with me, Chris. Okay. Batman vs. Superman. Oh. Justice League. Rise of Skywalker. Three wall-to-wall <laughs> shit <fest>. Bangers. Bangers. <laughs> <laughs> oh my now bangers no so i was a bit worried but it's got a lot of good lovely lines so um argo fuck yourself is just funny because it fits in lovely with alan arkin's old uh jewish uh stereotypical hollywood yeah. film pr- yeah film yeah. producer you know what does, this, what does it, it mean, mean? Argo, i don't know fuck yourself that's what it means <laughs> um but um there's there two other lines i really liked that stood out to me one was um um, when he's trying to, he's in, he's in Tehran, and he's trying to convince these six people to to trust this crazy plan. And the one that's the most skeptical, I can't remember who it is. He's he's really skeptical up until the end, and he's actually the one that kind of saves them. Yeah, um, yeah. He says, "Mr. Harkins, is that even your real name?" And it's just this very deadpan delivery of no. Like, of course it's not my real name I'm a spy you stupid fuck like he just why would he give you my real name exactly so is that even your real name is that no <laughs> um, but the the other good line which is a bit more linking in with uh, the, this theme is again it's Alan Arkin so he gets a good couple of lines is when he's watching TV with John Goodman and he says you know this is what's left of America and again, it just hammers home that whole theme of the film. You know, these six people represent so much more than a simple rescue act. It's America trying to reclaim a part of itself that it's lost. And, um, you know, and, and screenplays are, that's when they're the best. It's not like the Sorkin-esque large monologues. It's like mm. a line that you can, you know, you can tell that someone would deliver. Uh, I'm not having a go at Aaron Sorkin. He writes very good prose, but it's just yeah. the idea that someone would come out with constant monologues is sometimes a bit hard but that kind of like one liner just summed up perfectly what this film is about and um yeah there's was, there was a number of those in the, the film um those kind of stood out to me yeah there's a there's a couple of scenes that stood out to me uh just just because i i don't know i i, I just i got a lot of enjoyment out of them one of them is is fairly early on so just as we've been introduced to affleck's character uh you know he is an Exfil guy, which is short for exfiltration, i.e., gets people out of difficult situations. He's in this this boardroom where they're all pitching these different ideas. You know, we're going to airdrop in some bicycles, and they're going to ride bicycles to the border. And okay, we're going to try this, and we're going to try that. And what I liked about it is, in my brain, it was going, okay, so he's going to sit there and make everyone look like shitheads. He's going to really arrogantly tell them, like, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm the expert here. Let's just let these people fucking die for your ego. Because that's how those scenes normally go in these kind of films. But instead, again, you know, Affleck gives this quite restrained performance, which kind Mm -hmm. of belies the reality of the situation, which is in real life, you don't go into a meeting and start shooting off your mouth and telling everyone else they're assholes and they need to listen to you because you're the king because just people just wouldn't listen to you and tell you to go fuck yourself, basically. So the whole time, Mm. like, he's giving these answers, but he's just being really respectful. He's like, well, no, that's not going to work, I'm afraid, because it's people cycling that long would take them like six months and they'll get caught. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> someone will find yeah. them and they're not even that would be if they were olympic cyclist fit and they're not and he's just giving these really rational calm explanations which kind of leads to his seemingly bizarre suggestion that 
let's pretend to be a film crew, which obviously is, is what they actually go for in the end. You know, so I liked that because it gave me what I didn't expect to see and something that, again, spoke mm. to the reality and, and gave me, it let me buy into the film a bit more and be like, oh, yeah, this could have really happened. That's probably how the meeting went, for all I know. And <laughs> I think uh, I think the other one is where Affleck's character is drilling the six hostages on their cover stories. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the classic kind of scene of, like, everyone's smoking. He's got his sleeves rolled up. You know, he's like, okay, where were you born? What's your middle name? What's your date of birth? And he's just drilling them on these yeah. questions. <laughs> you know, someone fucks up. And so he's like, someone says, where were you born? Toronto. And he goes, no, Toronto. They don't, they don't yeah. pronounce the second T. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that great kind of, really great atmosphere. All, all those scenes just, just had this really good atmosphere to them. And yeah, I, I think if, if I could just one favorable word to describe the film it would just be engaging no matter what was happening no matter you, there there are people i know for whom if you can't describe a film by talking about the ridiculous cool action bit where the car flipped off of the helicopter which landed just over vin diesel's head and he doesn't even react hmm. then then your film is a piece of shit and it's boring and i don't want to see it but you know despite the fact that we're talking about scenes where people sit around and talk they listen to a led zeppelin song they Oh, Chris, did you get the letter? I got the letter. In fact, interesting tidbit. I don't know if you, uh, I don't know if you hit up the IMD tri- IMDb trivia as I did, but um, Led Zeppelin are notoriously kind of. You can have their music, but you got to pay. And even then, sometimes they're a bit pernickety. You know, they don't just let their music get used for anything. And they were happy enough for it to be used, but they said, "Okay, we've looked at the scene." The trouble is your guy puts the record needle down right at the start of the record, but when the levy breaks, it's track seven. <laughs> and so they said they said to Affleck, like, the only way you could use it is if you re-edit it or reshoot it to make him put the needle in the middle of the record. And he did. Um because that was the song that he had envisaged. He's a massive Zeppelin fan. And um it was a great song. Perfect choice for the film. Um, oh yeah, no, it was great. When, when when I heard that come on, I was like, "That's that sounds like Zeppelin." And I've got a fun feature, which almost certainly leads to Google knowing everything about me, which is that it listens to songs and then it pops up on screen um, with what the song is. And it came up with that, and I was like, "Oh, Chris is gonna love that." Yeah, <laughs> oh, he's gonna get the letter. He's gonna get the letter. I think the um, the the other uh, scene. I think uh, I'll mention just because I liked it, was the bookends of when they go in and out of Iran. So the the alcohol gets taken off sale, which means you're now in Iran or mm-hmm. you're now in Islamic airspace. And then that's the kind of the key moment at the end. It's like they can celebrate, they can have some champagne, they're out of Iranian airspace. There's no way they're going back now. Yeah. Um, which is really cool. But it also did leave me with a little bit of a feeling, a little bit of hashtag 2020 feeling of... Uh, <laughs> you know like alcohol means freedom you know like <laughs> go usa i like all these people watching it who are maybe like very you know peaceful secular whatever muslims they're probably like huh <laughs> like uh it means a lot to me that I, you know that, that's my religion you're, you're i don't think they were making fun of it at all i think it was just a good uh visual note and they did it at the start at the end although i, th- I would have thought they would have done it in turkey as well but maybe in turkey although it's a muslim country the they don't do that. I don't know. But certainly um, it was a nice little piece to kind of uh, bookend um, the start and the end of the op. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think just one more thing I want to say before we ride out. Going back to that point about using the Led Zeppelin music, the music of the time, 
I'm again very happy that they were comparatively quite restrained. You've uh, you've you've used the phrase before mise en scène uh, as you know sort mm. of how to set up the the time, the place, the context, everything in in, in what you see and, and what you hear and what it is. And I often think when things are set in the past, uh, especially if that past is sometime around 1982 to 1989, uh, people just, they mistake mise-en-scene with cramming in nostalgia. So, you know, if you watch something in Mm. the 80s, you know, we've talked before about them doing it in Stranger Things and things like that, where it's like, the Rubik's Cube, remember New Coke? Everybody's wearing headbands and sweatbands and these massive fluorescent outfits. And it goes beyond just use what is necessary to show me this, you know. And again, this kind of time, 79 into 80, that uh, kind of rough period where it takes place could have been very easy for them to go a bit overboard on that. You know, visually, things looked Mm. very 70s. You know, people had big glasses, the shirts and everything. But I never felt like anything felt inauthentic or shoehorned in. You know, it wasn't like turn on the radio and here's... 15 massive songs from the 70s that'll make everyone feel nostalgic for that time or, or you know anything else like that you know really the, Ze- the zeppelin song is the only one for me that's kind of that that significant to it and by that point it felt kind of earned. yeah yeah exactly i think the only indulgence in this a very small one is at the very start when they have a very very old school warner brothers logo from the 70s mm-hmm. instead of like a regular like warner brothers logo of our time um one one from that time you know almost like a quentin tarantino indulgence there yeah i think part of what you said is true because of the nature of the time so again it's the late 70s america's in crisis um if you're playing a lot of bombastic songs for example and people are wearing a lot of bright clothes it kind of just naturally gives you that idea of hey it's a good time everyone's having fun but you know i think where affleck does very well is he's very clear that this is not a good time for everybody. This is not a good time in America's history, in world geopolitical history. Therefore, subdued colors. You know, it, it's it's shot a bit. But it's I wouldn't say it was shot dimly because, like, especially like the scenes in the White House and the CIA headquarters, the inside is it's quite colorful. But the palette is is muted. You know, it's kind of restrained. Mm-hmm. It's blues and greys and yellows. It's not oranges and greens. It's it's not vivid colors but they're they're bright so it kind of gives you that um good time and place feeling this is the 1970s but not you know maybe not everything's good um which kind of fits in with as you said before you know uh the watergate uh, all the president's men film um which is probably even more subdued than this um but it gives off that kind of very similar feeling you know putting the camera through a very busy workplace and you can barely see them because there's so many people and they're all busy 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 working away um, and you can hear them over it, so it's it's very well done. Solid from Ben. Solid. <laughs> good, good. Okay, so I think we've uh, we've both watched this film. I think we've both come away quite happy having done so. Um, so with that, I'm going to pause for a second and wait for you to give me my lines, and then I'm going to read them. So that's all for this episode. We will be back in two weeks, and in the meantime, if you wish to keep in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter at ohbrotherpod. You can like us at facebook.com slash Oh Brother Podcast. And finally, please uh, subscribe to us and uh, review on wherever you choose to get your podcasts, be it Spotify, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever it is. So I've been Chris, he's been Steve, and we'll see you next time. Chris, Argo, fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>